Hey, everybody. Am I on? I am. Hey, guys, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Alex Gray. I'm on staff with Veritas. Um, so this picture behind me uh, is not me, believe it or not. This is Mao Zedong, and he is the leader of the Communist Party of China, or was, I should say, in the mid-1900s. So Zedong, in the height of his rule, he, he came up with this idea that he called the Great Leap Forward which this was this national uh, mandatory campaign to control farming and food distribution. And, and Setong's followers, they had really high expectations that this plan would rapidly boost the country's economy because private ag agriculture was banned completely and, and the government took control over all production and sales of food. So there were high hopes, but instead this plan had catastrophic effects. Within just a few years of being implemented, the Great Leap Forward led to the Great Chinese Famine, causing tens of millions of people to die of starvation. Tens of millions. See, people believed in Setong, they followed his authority and his plan, but it ended up being the death of him. Okay, so that's sort of a downer of a story to start, right, but with this being our last Veritas of the semester and summer starting, I spent some time looking back through some of the themes that we've hit on, on this semester. Uh, and what stuck out to me was actually, it was a question that Kyle asked the first week of the semester back in January. And he started us off by asking, what kind of king do you want to follow? What kind of king do we want to follow? So going through first and second Samuel this semester, we saw that the Israelites asked the same question. You know, what kind of king do we want to follow? If you remember, when we started in first, second, first Samuel, there was no king in Israel. But pretty quickly, people start begging the prophet Samuel for a king like all the other nations had. And Samuel warns him about the bad reputation that kings have in other nations for being cruel and unjust. But the Israelites, they've already convinced themselves, and they know that they want a king. So they don't need to know anything else. So as we learned this semester, God leads them, Samuel, to Saul. And as kings go, Saul is actually pretty bad. Like he is a very rough start to the kingdom, to say the least. So in chapter 10, we were tipped off that something might be wrong when instead of showing up for his inauguration as king, Saul is literally hiding in baggage because he's afraid. And three chapters later in chapter 13, verses 5 through 15, we see that Saul directly disobeys God when he gets tired of waiting for Samuel, the prophet, and he performs a sacrifice that really only priests should do. By chapter 15, things have gotten so bad that God rejects Saul as king. And so he commands Samuel to go find the new king that he's chosen instead, which is where David comes in. And David is a huge improvement from Saul. He's a way better king, if you remember. Samuel says that David has a heart after God's own heart and that the Lord is with him, meaning David consistently cleans up against the Philistines, their enemies, and the Israelites adore him. So for a while, things look really good for the kingdom of Israel. 
But then just like that, David messes up, and he messes up big time. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, he sleeps with Bathsheba, a woman that is not his wife, and to cover his sin, he has her husband murdered. Now, to be fair, when he's confronted about all of this, David repents and, and wholeheartedly confesses this to God. But we see the consequences of his sin play out throughout the rest of the chapters. Things start to unravel, and tragedy hits first his family and then the rest of the kingdom. And then the book of 2 Samuel ends. On sort of an unsatisfying note, if you ask me, there's no real conclusion, and if we kept reading through the Old Testament, the Israelites seem to be in this perpetual search for a king that's worth following. Until the New Testament. And then, suddenly, Jesus busts onto the scene and literally everything changes. Each of the four Gospels, they start with a bang and they make it clear that Jesus is here and that he's a king. Matthew 1.1, the first line of the New Testament, starts by saying, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And that's actually all we need because that word Christ, we may not know it, but actually it means anointed, which points back to David, God's anointed king over Israel. So eight words into Matthew, and we already see the claim that Jesus is a king. But the claim isn't that he's any king, it's that he is the king. He's the one that everyone's been searching for, for so long. The one that the entire Old Testament has been pointing to. The king of kings that's worth following. This, finally, is the one true king. Now, I know that in a group this size, not everybody here believes that Jesus is this one true king. Some of you might flat out disagree, others might still be on the fence, and that's okay. Wherever you're at, I really encourage you to read the Gospels. Maybe start with one, maybe John first, and consider what the Bible has to say about Jesus. Personally, I wish I had time to unpack even a fraction of the evidence that's in the Old and the New Testament for how everything in history points to Jesus as the king of all kings. But I don't have time to do that argument justice here tonight. And so quickly, here are three things that help us see that Jesus is the true king. So first, other kings, they come and they go over time. You know, Saul was rejected. And David, he ruled, but then he eventually died. But Jesus, he reigns forever. He has true authority that is ultimate and it's everlasting. So before Jesus is born, an angel of the Lord tells Mary in Luke 1, 31 through 33, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and we will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus himself says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus has true authority over everything and it's never ending. So second, other kings, they take and they exploit their people. You know, even David took Bathsheba when she wasn't his. But Jesus doesn't take, he gives to his kingdom. 
He's the true servant who cares for his people. In Luke 4, 18 through 19, Jesus describes his kingly roles by saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, as the true servant, he gives himself to his people and his kingdom. So third, other kings, they exclude and they reject outsiders. So maybe they build walls around their kingdom, they build up armies, all to keep other people out. But Jesus is inclusive. Jesus offers true invitation that welcomes people, all people, into his kingdom. From the get-go, he starts his ministry in Mark 1:15, proclaiming, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus offers true invitation for all people to believe and to be a part of his kingdom. See, this king, this is the answer to the Israelites' question. What kind of king do they want to follow? Well, the true king, King Jesus. And whether we realize it or not, this is the kind of king that we want to follow too. Because those other kings out there, the things and the people that we think are worth following, they're eventually going to let us down. Only King Jesus is worth following because he is the one true king. So summer is right around the corner. And as we all know, summer is when time seems to just slow down and you have endless hours to do all the things that you never could do during the year, right? Is that, that's not your experience? No, right? That's definitely not my experience. Absolutely not. No, in reality, we end up either doing absolutely nothing or way too much. And regardless, it's gonna feel like it's about a week and a half long, and then it's already somehow fall again. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to dash dreams here. I know we're all very excited to be done with finals, so sorry. But if we're being real, it's easy to end up looking back at the summer and realizing that we just sorta kinda followed it wherever it led us. We went along for the ride. Summer moves really fast, so if we wanna make the most of it, we're gonna have to plan ahead and we're gonna have to decide who and what we're gonna follow. So the real question for us is, if Jesus is the true king, doesn't it make sense to follow him this summer? And if that's the case, how do we do that? If, if Jesus is the king, the true king, what does it look like to follow him this summer? If Jesus is the true king, what does it look like to follow him this summer? Well, I think to answer that, we actually need to go back to those three things that qualified Jesus as king of all kings. So first, if King Jesus has true authority, then following him this summer means listening to his command. Look at how Jesus' disciples respond to his authority and his command in Matthew 4, 18 through 22. <clears throat> While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, 
James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. When we hear this story, we tend to think that these four men, they just meet Jesus and then they follow him without question. Truthfully though, they probably heard about Jesus around town. Maybe they've heard him teach before or they've watched other people decide to be his disciples. Things have been leading up to this event that we don't know about, so by, by the time Jesus comes to them and says, follow me, they commit. They're ready to listen to his authority and his command. In some sense, we have been hearing about Jesus all semester. First and second Samuel have been leading up to the promise of a king. Jesus has been around. We've heard him in every talk. But now Jesus is claiming to be not just a king, but the true king. And he's calling you to follow him. So are you going to commit? Are you ready to listen to his authority and his command? Maybe you've been a Christian for years, maybe your whole life, but you've never really taken Jesus' commands all that seriously. Or maybe you've been committed in the past, but this last month or semester or year, you've lived by your own authority more than his. I'll be honest, over summer especially, I really want to be my own authority. I want to make my own decisions rather than have someone command me to live a certain way. I'd like to take the break that I feel I deserve and wake up whenever I want and watch as many episodes as the off of The Office as I want, and I want to make as much money as I can, and I want to have as much fun as I can, and I want to get as much sun as I can, for sure. Maybe you guys can relate to this. But is spending summer this way really listening to Jesus' command? I gotta say, I don't think so. Instead, I think listening to his command means spending time with him so that we can actually hear his voice and know where he's guiding us. Wherever we are this summer, we need to pick a church and commit to being there on Sundays and maybe even attend a small group throughout the week. If you're in town this summer, keep coming to Veritas. We'll have it this summer for six weeks, and we want you to invest. Maybe this summer, we need to find a Bible reading plan or a daily devotional to make sure that we stick to being in God's word. We might need to put regular meetings in the calendar, as strange as it sounds, with Christian friends who are gonna give us godly community and godly encouragement. Listening to Jesus' command also means actually obeying him. This one, it can be tough, right? Because somehow, summer break can cause us to slip into bad habits or fall back into old patterns. To be obedient to Jesus, we're gonna have to prepare now for how we want to fight sin patterns or live out trying situations. So are we heading back to old friends that aren't great for us? Let's decide how much time we're gonna spend with them or how we'll fight their influence or who we need to ask to keep us accountable. Or what family dynamics are we heading back to? Let's brainstorm ways to be kind and patient with our family. Let's actually work at honoring our parents even when they're not easy to be around or honor. 
See, King Jesus has true authority over us. So spending time with him and obeying him and listening his, to his command, that's how we're going to follow him this summer. If we remember, Jesus as king, he has true authority, and he's also the true servant. And if King Jesus is the true servant, following him means serving others the way that he did. So how did Jesus serve? Well, we see one way in John chapter 13. So look at verse 3 through 5 with me, which say, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. A few verses later, picking up in 12, it says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so also ought to, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So Jesus, the creator of all living things and the king for all of eternity, he has every right to demand that his disciples serve him. But he doesn't. Instead, he serves them. He gets on the ground and touches their nasty feet. He serves them because he loves them, but also to give them an example so that they know what it looks like to serve other people. But Jesus' ministry, it wasn't just washing feet, thankfully. That would be maybe kind of specific and strange. He also healed the sick, and he fed the hungry, and he comforted the broken, and he encouraged the oppressed. He gave tangible blessing and real comfort to those around him with his time and his words and his actions. This past Saturday, uh, there was a citywide service day called For Columbia. So over 2,000 volunteers from 50 churches participated, and there were people from all different, different denominations and ages and backgrounds and races who came together to serve. Some of you guys helped out at places like Phoenix House and Douglas Park, and some of you drove around with the debris team picking up trash. You guys gave up a Saturday before finals to serve the community. You chose to spend a morning serving others the way Jesus did. And that's a beautiful thing. Because if we're going to serve faithfully, it needs to be in a way that reflects Jesus. So Jesus served out of genuine love for people. Do we? Sometimes, even if we're serving, it can be for other reasons, right? Like building our resume or accumulating house points or maybe just trying to appease God. Yeah, yeah, you guys, I know that's you. Uh -huh. I heard you. But if we want to follow Jesus, we have to do it with an increasing motivation that's driven by genuine love for people. So Jesus, like we said, also served to provide blessing and comfort tangibly. So how can you bless people this summer? There are so many options, right? So 
narrow it down with something that interests you. Do you have a heart for the poor and the marginalized? Maybe volunteer at a homeless shelter or help repair low-income houses or make meals for families in need. Do you like kids? Tutor for a summer school or volunteer in a classroom at church. What about older people? Maybe spend time at a nursing home or ask elderly neighbors what they need help with. Who are the people, the quote, outsiders in your community? Hang out with them. Have them into your home. Maybe you're going to be really busy working, but you're also going to be making good money. Do some research and find an organization that you can donate to. There are tons of ways to bless people. We just have to be willing to seek them out and start serving. I want to pause for a second, though, because I know that some of us have really hard things coming up this summer. So some of you might be thinking, these blessings, this comfort, that's what I need. Because I'm not sure if I can handle my situation alone. And if that's you, I want you to remember that Jesus' comfort and care is still for us. He's with us, serving us too. So whether it's a terrible job, or a really messy family, or an upcoming surgery, or more class, or whatever it is, Jesus, he's going to be with us in that. He's going to be satisfying us and sustaining us through it because he is the true servant. So even in our hard circumstances, we can look to him to, to follow his example and serve others this summer. So Jesus as king, he has true authority. He's the true servant, but also he serves or he offers true invitation to repent, and to believe the gospel. And if Jesus offers true invitation, following him means living as his disciples who bring other people into the kingdom. A lot of you are probably familiar with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, when Jesus has risen from the dead, and now he's sending out the disciples with a plan. But what does he charge them with as their mission? Go and make disciples of all nations. So as disciples, their job is to make more disciples, to bring more people into the kingdom of God. Or look at Acts 1, 6 through 8. This is also after Jesus has risen from the grave, this time before he ascends into heaven to take his seat on his everlasting throne. He's with the disciples, and this is their conversation moments before he's lifted up into the clouds. So when they had come together... They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The disciples, what they're doing here is they're asking Jesus if he's going to bring his kingdom to earth right there and then. And his answer might look strange at first, but what Jesus is saying is something profound. When will the kingdom come, they ask? Not yet, and it's not for them to know exactly. But how will it come? Well, someday Jesus will return to fully restore his kingdom on earth. 
But in the meantime, it's expanding and materializing through his witnesses, his, his disciples. They're the ones testifying, proving Jesus' death and resurrection. They're the ones inviting others to believe and join God's kingdom. And if that's the disciples' job, then that's our job too. We're Jesus' witnesses. We're called to share our faith with the people around us. And we're his disciples. So we're called to invite people to believe the gospel. Following Jesus this summer, it means being inclusive and welcoming people into his community, his family. Think about who you're going to be around this summer. Some of you are going home, and you know just about every, everyone where you're going. So which people could you be more intentional with? Is it an old friend or a family member or a neighbor? Who could you just extend an invite to come with you to church? Who could you grab coffee with to catch up and actually speak honestly about your faith rather than shying away? Some of you are going to be working this summer, whether it's at an internship or a part-time job or at a camp. So what's it look like to be inclusive with your coworkers? What if you organize some hangouts just on nights or on the weekends? What if you befriended the socially awkward person that everybody else seems to ignore? Some of you are going to be serving in Japan this summer, or others of you are doing missions somewhere else. So who are you going to be sharing your life with there? You know, how will you get to know people and invite them into either a conversation or an event where they could learn even just a little bit more about who Jesus is? I think sometimes we doubt the impact that we have when we invite people to stuff or we talk about our faith. We assume that they're going to think we're weird or if they come with us to something, it's just because they're being nice to us. But Jesus, he uses his disciples. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. And to prove this point, I talked to people in Veritas who have become Christians because someone invited them to something. One guy said that it was in high school when a classmate just invited him to his youth group. A lot of people said that they first believed in Jesus after someone, a friend or a sorority sister or an RA, invited them to come to Veritas or to join a small group. That was the case for me. Someone on the music team told me that it was his older brother who encouraged him over and over to come to church with him. My brother and Justin Dirks and so many more are Christians because someone invited them to go to Harmon's Jamaica on a mission trip. One of my favorite stories is from a small group leader who said that from probably the age of four or five on, one friend consistently invited her to spend the night on Saturday nights. And then the family just always happened to take her to church the next morning. <laughs> Years later, when she did become a Christian, they admitted that they did it on purpose so that she could hear the gospel each week. That's awesome. I love that. Crazy. So, some of the people around you Right here, they're believers because someone invited them to something. Jesus actually uses our invitations, and he uses them to draw people to himself. And so following Jesus this summer, 
It means being inclusive, inviting people in to believe and enter God's kingdom. King Jesus offers true invitation. And so we are his disciples and we join him in welcoming people to follow him too. See, Jesus, he's the one true king over every aspect of our lives. And he's the one that everything in creation points to as the everlasting ruler of heaven and of earth. So let's follow him. He's the only king that deserves our full devotion. Let's follow him in whatever we do this summer, whether it's our schedule or our relationships or our money or our time, our service. Let's follow him in all of that. But as the music team comes back up, I want to say something really important. If we try to do this all on our own, we're going to fail. If we try to follow Jesus by our own efforts, with the power of checklists and alarms and goals, we're going to burn out and we're going to give up. So I want to encourage you not to follow Jesus by your own power, but instead to rely and depend on the infinite, limitless power of Jesus. He has the ability, but also the desire to help us. He delights in using his power to help us follow him more and more. And if we ever doubt that, all we have to do is look to the cross. He loves us to the point of laying down his life for us, dying for our sin so that we get to experience his kingdom for all of eternity. So let's follow him but with the confidence of knowing that he is working in us and through us to live for him as the one true king. Amen.